I just want to thank you, good brother. Um, I don't know about the churches that you attend, but it's been a long, long time since I've had a hymn book open on my lap and sung some of these songs. It's wonderful. And uh, my wife Dawn and I have been in Florida now for four years. Uh, we began attending a church there and another campus of their church, and there was a church in town of a different denomination that was dying, and so they purchased that building, and we happened to live right around the corner from it, and so the senior pastor called me and said, would you help us launch this thing, and you be the, the campus launch pastor, and we're just going to bring in on a big screen the message that he said he would be preaching on the main campus. Well, that's a wonderful idea, but technology being what it is, how about if I plan to be ready just in case the technology, oh, that'll never happen. It's great technology. Remember, they were just starting this. They'd never done it before. Uh, he was one of those kind of pastors that liked to have his outline with a few blanks that you would fill in, you know. So I said, if you'll send me your blanks and what are the words that go in the blanks, and then just maybe a few paragraphs that explain to me what your message is about and your text, I'll study and I'll do my best to be ready because you want, of course, this campus to make sure it's in sync with the downtown church. Oh, no, he says, that's way too much trouble. You just have your favorite message in your back pocket. I said, well, I don't have a favorite message that I keep in my back pocket, so would you just mind doing that and send it to me whenever you have it ready and I'll pray and study? Well, okay, but you'll never need to use it. <laughs> In the first six months, uh, we were there about nine months and God grew it so rapidly they needed a full-time pastor, but I was with team trying to care for our dear retirees so I couldn't do both. In the first six months, I think about 60% of the time, I was sitting, Brother Bert, right about where you and Sharon are sitting with my wife, and uh, we'd have our music time, of course, and then I would pray and so on. And then we, as soon as I was finished praying, I'd look to the technology guys in the back to see if I was getting the sign that we're getting the signal of the message, all is well. But if I got this, uh, then I knew I needed to do something, and that's why I had the message ready. Well, about 60% of the time I got this, and then I sat down, and wouldn't you know, within... Oh, a minute or two, suddenly the screen freezes, and the pastor is stuck. <laughs> and so I would slowly get up, and I'd look back at them to see. And so I would get up to the pulpit, and I would start to pick up the message where he had stopped <laughs> and, and, and try to continue it on, watching them back there to see, did they get the message again so I could sit down and... Oh, it happened several times where they'd give me the sign, we got it, so I'd sit down and it would get going, and you know what happened about two, three minutes later. So uh, every Monday he would call me. So Pastor Doug, how did it go yesterday? <laughs> he was pretty frustrated. But it was a wonderful experience for me to learn how to team, tag team, partner, with somebody several miles away and, and try to keep two congregations journeying together through technology. It was an interesting experience. There were times, as you might imagine, that we simply just had to laugh. And laughter is good, would you agree? 
How many of you know a man by the name of Brian Agni? Could I just see your hands? Oh, <laughs> Bert says he wouldn't admit it. Well, God has blessed Brother Brian with lots of wonderful gifts and abilities, and one of them is he has a love to see people enjoy life and laughter. Would you agree if you know Brother Brian? So he has come with a briefcase full of laughter medicine. So I've asked him if he would come. Do you have your microphone, Brother Bert, or did you lay it down someplace? Oh, I'll get it. Is it? It's on your... Oh, I'll get it. I see it. I see it. So, uh, guys you're, in the back, gonna, could you give Brother Brian... You're going to need this one. I'm going to need that one. So, Brother Brian, would you just come and just give us a couple of... Something inspired from God. You know, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. I love to laugh, and I love to see people laugh, and that's for sure. I'm not going to go up there because I'm not preaching at you, but... Uh, how many of you are Scandinavian heritage? Oh, that's great. That's good. You know, I said, what's the difference between a Norwegian and a canoe? A canoe will sometimes tip. <laughs> We're very in it. We're cheap. And then Ole told Lena, I have a couple more. Ole told Lena, my memory is getting worse. Yesterday I put on my shoes on the wrong feet. Now I can't remember whose feet I put them on. <laughs> and one quick other one. Lena is sitting in the barn knitting while Ole is milking the cows. She dropped her ball of yarn, and wouldn't you know, the big mother Kate, the cat ate it. And six weeks later, they had a litter of mittens. <laughs> That's all you get. But oh, one, for the, one for the road. One more. Ole goes to the doctor and says, something is wrong, doctor. He shows him some lettuce sticking out of his ear. And he asked the doctor, is it serious? And the doctor said, I hate to tell you, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Amen, brother. Anyway, right? Don't we thank God for Brother Brian? Amen. Amen. My guess is he's going to live to be 200 because God has to get heaven ready for his arrival. Because it's going to change the culture of heaven, I think, when Brother Brian and dear Barb get there. You see that I've added a, that's called a whiteboard. And can I tell you why? I would like to learn from you this week. So there's two sides to the board, and here's what I'd like to suggest. Before our sessions, all of them, and after our session, dear Barb Agni, Brother Brian's wife, is going to be available to you. And if you would want to, would you share with us what you have found to be some of the really significant issues that this stage of life brings you? I'll give you an example. Uh, probably, if you roll the time clock back 30 years, you were not the oldest in your family. But now you probably are or soon will be, right? That's a significant change in life. When you become the, the most elderly, the senior person in your extended family. It also means that you have escorted your parents into glory if they knew Jesus, right? And that's a significant transition. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to learn from you, and let's fill this board up with significant issues at this stage of life. And dear Barb will write them down. On the other side of the board, key life lessons that you have learned 
through this stage of life that you would sure like your kids, your grand, the generations that follow you to understand. So I've written at the top of the board on each side what I'm hoping for. So uh, you've come, yes, to enjoy a wonderful worship and the word, but you've also come with a lot of life experience that could benefit all of us and certainly benefit me as I continue to try to bring God's word to different groups of people. Would you be willing to do that? Now, uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we again thank you for the privilege of opening your word. We thank you for the privilege of gathering in this unusual, remarkable place. We know, God, that there are many countries in the world where there is no such place. It would be against the law for this to take place. People like Brother Bert would be in jail, as would I. There are places in the world where you can't carry a Bible into a room because there's soldiers standing at the door, and if you're carrying the Bible, you're going to jail. So we've come this morning again grateful, God, very grateful for this place and the privilege of these days together. Holy Spirit, would you please speak into each of our hearts in a special way this morning? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last evening, I invited you to have a little homework and look at Psalm 77 sometime between then and now. Did anybody see what I was asking you to look for? What's the change that takes place in Psalm 77? Did anybody find it? Yes, it happens uh, right between verse 9 and 10, doesn't it? If you brought your Bibles, let's look for just a moment as we transition from last night to today. Looking at verse 7 of chapter 77 in the Psalms, in my translation it says, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? My goodness, those are serious questions, aren't they? And it sounds as though the person has just about come to the end of his trust in God. There's despair. In my Bible, there's some white space between the end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10. And that's where I invite you to spend a few minutes thinking about what happened here. Because it appears in that white space of time, he must have gone to prayer. He must have said, God, it isn't right for me to be in this desperate place because I believe in you. So help me see things differently. And it appears, do you see what you see there in verse 10? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High God. I will, what's the word? Remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will. Say it again. Remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works. I will consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God. <laughs> you see the dramatic change? 
And it happens because he stopped and he said, wait a minute, I am not going to be overwhelmed by the circumstances and the despair around me. I'm going to look back and remember the faithfulness of God through my life. And as I do that, my heart, my mind, and my eyes will be pointed up and I will worship. Amen? Do they say amen in your church? It's going to be okay here. Would you agree, Brother Bert? It's going to be okay here this week. If you've never done it before, to risk, start little. Amen. Then, then, then just maybe a little bit more. Amen. And look around, and if anybody's scowling at you, don't, don't pay them any attention. By the time we get to the end of Friday, there's going to be amen. <laughs> and you'll go back to your church, and they'll think you turned Pentecostal. But you can tell them, no, 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 no. I just had an encounter with the living God. Oh, very good. Would you consider this? Nowhere in God's word, Old Testament or New Testament, is there a person who had a genuine encounter with God and walked away saying, that was no big deal. Would you agree that every person, Old and New Testament, that has a genuine encounter with God their lives change. Sometimes they fall flat on their face. Sometimes they're speechless. They're so overwhelmed. An authentic encounter with a living God will leave you stunned, speechless, overwhelmed, praising God. And that's my prayer for these next days. Did you notice the direction of Brother Bert's worship with us this morning? There was an underlying theme. I wonder if you noticed it. What, what did you see? What did you hear? Jesus cares. Yes, ma'am. What else? You're giving me a sign. What does that mean? You can't hear me? Oh, he hears us. Thank you very much. I thought maybe you couldn't hear me. Thank you very much. He hears us and he cares. Yes. Anybody else? Say it again, please. He is faithful. Praise God. It's time for an amen. Amen. He is faithful. Trials will come, but he is with you in them. Would you agree? Okay, so as you can see, the word for today, yesterday our word was remember for the letter R in the word restore. As we're asking God, restore me, please, in these difficult days in the journey. The second letter is the letter E, and I've given you the word empathy, as you see. Empathy. And I'm asking the question, what is the difference between empathy and sympathy? Do you know? Anybody want to help me? Empathy relates based on experience, right? Empathy relates based on experience. May I give you a personal example and see if you can relate to this? The day after I preached my last sermon at Calvary Community Church in Williams Bay... My telephone rang. My wise wife, a couple of weeks before, had suggested, why don't you have a physical before we leave Williams Bay? Oh, but honey, I feel great. I know that, but why don't you have a So I did. And while I'm having the physical, the doctor says, would you like me to do a PSA test? I said, brother, I don't have any idea. You're the doctor. Do whatever you think you're supposed to do. Well, I think I will. Okay. So that Monday, my phone rings, and it's my doctor. We have a problem. 
Oh, that's never a good thing to hear from your doctor. What's the problem? Your PSA is higher than any PSA I've ever seen in my life. Uh, for you guys in the room, my PSA was 43. 43! I've never heard of a two-digit PSA, at least in the 40s. He said, you can't ignore that. So I've already made an appointment for you tomorrow morning for, with a urologist. Oh, great. What's the urologist going to do? Well, he's going to do a biopsy of your prostate. Will it hurt? Eh, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know. He said, I've never had one. So I went to see the urologist. I, I will not give you any details. But uh, I said to the urologist, how long before I get the results? He said, oh, it'll take three or four days at least. I said, well, we're moving. We'll be gone by then. He said, do you have a cell phone? Yes, I'll call you. So we're in Maryville, Tennessee. Sidebar, the sign says Maryville, but you pronounce it Murrable. Okay. So my phone rings in Murrable, Tennessee. And uh, the, the urologist says, uh, are, are you sitting down? No, but I will. I was actually taking boxes from the moving truck that we had rented, Brother Bert, and bringing them into the house. He says, uh, you have a Gleason score of nine. Any guys in the room know what a Gleason score is? Uh, you can only get a 10. And a 10 means call your funeral director. So I said, what does the nine Gleason score mean? He says, it means you have highly aggressive prostate cancer. And you need to see somebody immediately. My wife comes out of the house to get her next box, and I say, sweetheart, you won't believe what I just heard on the telephone. We need to pray right now. We only knew one person in the whole state of Tennessee. We'd only been there two days, one day, actually. So I had what's called a radical prostatectomy surgery that removed my prostate. Fortunately, the doctor had said to me, I'm not going to do the surgery. I said, who will? He said, a robot. What? <laughs> a six-armed, five-foot stainless steel robot. Why? Because it has six arms and I only have two. Where will you be? In the next room. Doing what? Controlling the robot. What will I be doing? Just lay there and don't move. <laughs> well, you better put me out. And he did. He said, go to this website and take a look, and it will tell you about the kind of surgery you're going to have. I'm glad I did because I saw the robot and what it does because when they wheeled me into the operating suite, I was still wide awake, and here stands this robot. I would have jumped off the table if I hadn't seen it on, on, on the, the television. Uh, by God's grace, I'm cancer-free, and I have been cancer-free now for five years. But I tell you that story, yes, I am praising God, because whenever I hear a man say the words prostate cancer, what do you think wells up inside of me? Empathy. I understand, my brother, what you're feeling. I have been there. But if I have a woman say to me, breast cancer, I have sympathy. I feel badly for you based on my experience, but I've never had that problem. But I have had prostate. You see the difference between empathy and sympathy? Now, here's what I want us to focus on today. Is God empathetic, empathy, or sympathetic, or both? And I'd like us to see that this morning together, okay? In God's Word. 
Uh, Psalm 139, if you have your Bibles with you, you know this psalm well. Psalm 139. And if ever you can't hear me, just put your hands by your ears and I'll elevate my voice because I want you to be able to hear God's word. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me and you know when I sit and you know when I rise and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, <laughs> even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will be night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you, O God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light for you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And that's why he can say the last two verses of the psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me, and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. Now, those words can be spoken by every living human being from the days of Adam and Eve. Would you agree with that? Because God has personally, individually created every person unique. And there's seven and a half billion of us. Billion of us. If you could see your fingerprints where you're sitting right now, nobody else has the fingerprints just like you. If you could see deeply into your eyes, nobody has the eye print just like you. Nobody has the exact DNA that you have. And as God was knitting you together in your mother's womb, cell by cell, tissue by tissue, moment by moment, he was making someone unique and special whom he loved before you ever knew you existed. Do you agree with that? Amen. And as you walk the journey of life and you experience painful, confusing, troubling times, does he care or was that just nice songs that we sang? He cares deeply because he loves you so much because he went to all the trouble to make you and has sustained you every breath of your life to this moment. Do you agree with that? He is profoundly sympathetic, caring deeply, for you in any situation that you might encounter. Genesis chapter 16, you don't need to turn there, but do you remember the story? Hagar. You'll remember that uh, Abraham and Sarai had been down in Egypt for some time, and they came back from there bringing with them some Egyptian 
servants that they had acquired, including this woman named Hagar. You'll remember that Abraham and Sarai had received from God this amazing, miraculous promise that even though he was nearing 80 at the time, they would have a son. And that son would have an entire nation of descendants. But it wasn't happening, and so you'll remember that Sarai had an idea. Let's help God with this promise. He's obviously so busy with other people in other places, and he gave us the promise, and we know how to make babies. And so even though it hasn't happened in all these years we've been married, let's try. And nothing happened, and so she said, well, let's try something else. In that culture, it would be permitted. Here's my servant. She can be a surrogate mother. Her child will be my child. Would you have a child with her? And you'll remember that they began that process. But then you'll remember what happened between the, in the relationship between Sarai and Hagar. Human beings, jealousy, frustration, bitterness. So that Sarai finally says, pregnant Hagar, get out. And she goes out to the only place that she could, the desert area around there, and she's overwhelmed with grief. You remember what happens? And the angel of the Lord found her there and said, Hagar, what are you doing out here? Called her by name in Genesis 16. Hagar explains, and the angel says, go back to Abraham and Sarai. Submit to them, they'll care for you. Bear the son there and give him the name Ishmael. And her response, you are the God who sees me. As busy as you are, God, watching over the whole world and keeping the whole universe in perfect balance, you see one Egyptian woman in the depth of her pain out here in the middle of the desert, and not only do you see me, but you care enough to send an angel to encourage me. Hold on to that. Because no matter where you are in the journey, God sees you there. Do you agree? And God cares deeply about what's going on in your life there. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God comes and he steps into your, whatever that situation is, God is here. Right? Can you say, as you look back in your life, there have been times when God did something, it could have been in a worship service like this morning, it could have been in any set of circumstances, but you were overwhelmed with the fact that God is fully aware of what's going on in my life right now. And he has come to me to encourage me, to tell me that he cares, that he understands, and he wants to hold my hand and help me in this journey. Jehovah the Haiwa, the God who sees me. Can you say that? That you're confident the God who made you sees you every single moment of every single day. Psalm 33 says, From heaven the Lord looks down. You see it right there in your notes. And God sees all mankind. He who forms the hearts of all, he considers everything they do. The eyes of the Lord are especially on those who fear him. 
those who revere him, those who stand in awe of him, those who worship him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. We, those people, wait in hope, for he is our help and our shield. So I've asked the question, as you can see right there, so how does God watch us? I've given you three examples there in your notes. Do you see them? Uh, this is fall sports season in America. It's very different from any other fall sports season we've ever had. The stadiums are empty, and everybody has masks on, and it's a little crazy, but coaches have a very important role. Do you understand what a coach does? A coach looks at an athlete, guy or gal, to see does he or she have great potential? And what can I do as a coach to develop that potential, right? A police officer looks at a person very differently. <laughs> a police officer's responsibility is to serve and protect, it used to say on the side of most police cars, right? So a police officer is watching all the activities of people to see, are we law-abiding citizens, or is there among us someone who's dangerous, who could hurt us? by their behavior, and if they find such a person, a police officer steps in and says, in order to protect the rest of society, I have to deal with you. But a parent, a parent or a grandparent looks at their children or grandchildren very differently. Would you agree? Do you see what I wrote? They lovingly share life with their children or grandchildren. They mentor their children and grandchildren. They will protect their children or grandchildren at all costs. Do you agree with that? And they want to nurture their kids and their grandkids to their potential that God placed within them. Parents parent with empathy because as you and I have been parenting, we remember what it was like when we were kids <laughs> and how our, our parents parented us right? And sometimes we want to do it exactly the same way, and sometimes we want to do it very differently. The point is, when you get to the place that you are now a parent, you have already walked through the journey of being parented. So you parent with empathy. So when your kids say to you, but that's not fair, your mind goes back when you said to your parents, that's not fair. And when your kids say, please, please, can I have, your mind goes back to, please, please, can I have, right? Am I right? That's empathy. So, so my question for us is, does God have empathy so that when you and I are in very difficult situations in life, we can go to God and go, we can say, God, you understand, not just because you're God, and not just because you've been watching the human race live these painful journeys, but because you have experienced it. So I want us to look at two places in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Exodus chapter 3 is the burning bush encounter between Moses and God. Verse 4 says, and when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look at the burning bush, God called to him from within the bush. What did God say? Hey, you. No. God said, Moses. 
God called him by name in whatever language it was that he spoke at the time, I presume Egyptian. Moses wrote this as a personal memory. What God is saying is, young man, I know you better than you know you. Because I've been watching your life from the day that you were born because I know you even before that. I know everything about you. Moses, Moses, and Moses' response was to a burning bush who's talking to him, here I am. I'm so grateful he didn't run. And God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. What was Moses learning right there about God? God is holy. Unlike any other deity, unlike the idols that the Egyptians used to worship that he observed many, many times, this God, even though you can't see him, is a holy God who knows you and everything about you, Moses. Therefore, you can trust him in whatever he's going to tell you. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And then it's as though God is saying, I know what you're thinking, so let me tell you a little bit about myself, Moses. (laughs) I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, of course, Moses would recognize that immediately. That's my heritage. He was born, you'll remember, into the tribe of Levi. He knew his heritage. And God is saying, I'm an eternal God. I was there for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God is saying, I'm a personal God. I've been walking the journey with your ancestors. God is saying, I'm a covenant-keeping God because I made a covenant with Abraham and I have kept it. This God, eternal God, holy God, covenant-keeping God, creator God who made you, Moses, this God has come to meet with you. Why? Because I'm a sympathetic God, but I'm also an empathetic God. Look, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. If you like to underline in your Bible, underline that. I am concerned about their suffering. Do you know why? Why is it so important to underline that? Because if you haven't already, you will suffer in your life journey. It may be a deep, profound, emotional suffering like we sang about a little earlier today. It may be a profound financial suffering. It may be a profound medical or health suffering. If you haven't already, and I know you have, you will suffer. At this stage of life, guess what? There's a lot more suffering to come. Would you agree? And when the doctor is sitting across the table from you shaking his head or her head and saying, I'm sorry, In that moment, you need to be able to answer the question, is God in this room with me right now? Does God understand my medical condition better than this doctor does? Does God care? Can I trust him to help me, to encourage me, to walk the journey of the rest of my life from this moment until the day I breathe my last? And the answer to all of those is... Yes. Amen? You see, my friends, if it hasn't happened already in your life, you're going to get the phone call. Grandma, Grandpa, something terrible has happened. Does God care? 
Does God understand? Grandma, Grandpa, tell me, from your experience, can I trust that God understands what's happening in my life right now? That's why this weekend is so, this week is so important. For us to wrestle with, my friends, what have we learned in the journey of life and how can we help our kids, our grandkids, the generations that follow us, our friends, I've seen the suffering. I've heard their cries. I care. I'm concerned. So I have come down to do something about it, to rescue them. Amen? Hold on to that, because God loves to step into the practical, real stuff that causes us confusion and pain. Now, I want to invite you to turn to the New Testament. Hebrews. There's two scriptures listed there in your notes, and I'm going to give you a third one. Those of you who have been a little bit on the journey with me and have heard me open God's word with you in the past, you'll remember that there are times when I tell you about fresh beans in the soup. <laughs> what that means is, as I continue to study, since the outline has been written, guess what? God says you missed something. Let me give you something fresh. So I've got a third verse, fresh beans in the soup for you. Now here's what's really important. We've been looking at powerful Old Testament scriptures, very powerful, very true, that speak to us about God, His greatness, His unlimited understanding of us. Sympathy. But now I want to show you how God has empathy for us. And that is seen in the person of Jesus Christ because God came here to this planet. He put on human flesh. You know the Christmas story. You know the Gospels. The powerful truth of these three verses in Hebrews is whatever you experience in life other than sin, Jesus can say, I've been there and I've experienced it and I understand. Am I right? You ever come to a situation and you feel as though your friends have abandoned you? Can, do you think Jesus can say, I know how that feels? The Garden of Gethsemane? his arrest, and the disciples run into the dark. You ever have the experience where a friend or a family member betrays you? Do you think Jesus can say, I understand that? You ever have broken promises? You think Jesus can say, I understand that? You ever have a situation where the money in the checkbook isn't enough for the bills? You think Jesus can say, I never owned a home, I never owned a piece of real estate, I understand You ever have the experience where the people who should love you don't? You think Jesus can say, I understand that. Hebrews chapter 2. Look first at verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through, what's the word? Say it again. Suffering. God is saying the only way this salvation experience can work is if I send my Son of God, Holy Jesus, to earth and He suffers. It's the only way. Because He suffered, when you and I suffer, we can say, Jesus... You understand, don't you? You are empathetic to what I feel. 
So I'm asking you to please embrace me with your great love and step into my painful situation. Look at chapter 4. Uh, pardon me, chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but us, Abram's descendants, for this reason he had to be make, made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of people because he himself, what's the word? Suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now hold on to that. We know that Jesus never sinned. So anything of the emotions and so on related to sin, he hasn't experienced. But we know he has engaged Satan in the battle, don't we? He has been tempted in every way just as we are. So the next time you're almost overwhelmed by the temptation to covet what somebody else has because you're short, Jesus says, I understand those feelings of having less than what some others have. And don't allow the devil to draw you into that covetousness. Stand firm because God knows your need better than you do. In fact, what did God teach? What did Jesus teach the disciples with the Lord's Prayer? Just before he starts the, Lord prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he says to them in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Ha, ha, ha. Amen. Chapter 4. Therefore, since we have, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. May I show you something interesting? I'm reading from the old NIV. There is a new NIV, and guess what that word sympathize is in the new NIV? Empathize. They changed it from sympathize to empathize because the more deeply they dug into what is the author of Hebrews saying here, they understood. Jesus not only cares, but he cares by experience. Jesus is able to say to you and to me, I understand because I was there. I lived on planet Earth. I've experienced what you've experienced. That's very powerful. Would you agree? Yet he was without sin. Verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, here's the third, the fresh bean for the soup. Are you ready? Chapter 5, probably very same page of your Bible. Look at verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with what? Loud cries and tears to one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Loud cries and tears, what does it mean? It means Jesus' heart was being broken. 
It means life was painful. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in such agony that what did he sweat? Drops of blood. His forehead was hemorrhaging because of the intensity of the attack that he was under and the weight of understanding what he was going to have to go through as he would receive upon him the wrath of God for the sins of humanity. It was almost overwhelming, so he cried out, Is there any other way? Not my will, but yours be done, right? You see the power of this verse, my friends? So the next time that you find yourself and the burden of life is just so heavy, you're on your knees and you can't hardly move, you can't even find the words to express how your heart is so broken, Jesus says, let me kneel right beside you and put my arm around you because I understand I was there too. When we sang that song earlier, Brother Bert's voice cracked just a bit in one part of the song. Did you notice? Brother Bert, my dad has sent two wives into glory. No, we haven't lived polygamy in my family. My mother died about 35 years ago, and my father was crushed. My mother was 53, my dad was 54. I was working in Chicago at the time before God called me into the ministry and I would stop by and see my mom often as she was dying. She died at home, kidney cancer. Shocking. After mother was gone, I came by to visit dad one day. The garage door was closed so I couldn't tell if dad was home so I knocked on the door and all I heard was, uh. So I opened the door, it was as I'm remembering about four o'clock in the afternoon, and the house was dark. Dad, are you here? Uh, that's not my dad. I went into the living room and I found him sitting, looking at a picture. And as I got close, I could see Dad hadn't shaved in many days. I, I looked into the kitchen and there was some dishes and some stuff that... I said, Dad, what's going on? And he looked right at me with this question, can you give me one good reason that I should keep living? What? Lloyd Anderson, the missionary, the pastor, my mentor? He said, you're all married. You've got your own families. You've got good jobs. You don't need me. The job that I'm doing, they can find somebody else to engineer the job. They don't need me. Not really. The church that I'm a leader in, there's other people who can serve. They don't really need me. And then he looked at me again. Can you give me one reason why I should keep living? Dad, what are you talking about? Your mother is gone. My heart is broken. You have no way of understanding what I feel. Nobody does. Well, Dad, that's not true. You know that there's millions of men who understand what you're feeling some of whom you even know them. But you're right. Nobody had the privilege of being married to my mother for 35 years. And I said, Dad, God understands. Oh, yeah? Show me. I couldn't. I hadn't studied 
like I've studied now. But the next time somebody says that to you, now you know where to go. By God's grace, God brought a missionary widow who had lost her husband within 30 days of my dad losing my mother, Joyce Dresselhouse, a team widow, and God brought them together, and they had 32 years together, and my father has escorted her to the threshold of heaven a few years ago. So why did Brother Bert's voice crack at that moment in the song? Yesterday, as we're walking here for the first session, he tells me that this dear woman shouldn't even be sitting here, his dear wife, except for a great work of God in her life. And my guess is his voice cracked because he was praying, God, thank you for sparing my dear bride and giving us these additional, is it two years? Three years. But dear Brother Bird, I want to tell you that if God had not done that, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus would be there with you as he is with anybody else in this room who has experienced the broken heart that brought our dear friend to tears. Look at it again. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, his heart breaking to the one almighty God who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission to the sovereignty and the authority of God. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from, what does it say? What he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Through his suffering, he became our Savior. And may I say it this way, not only our Savior, but our empathetic Savior. So when you and I pray, we can say, Lord Jesus, I'm so glad you understand the burden that I'm carrying, the pain that I'm feeling, the questions that I have. That's why I'm coming to you, my empathetic Savior. Amen? I have a song for you. And while this song is playing, I want you to be able to talk to the Lord Jesus. Have you ever heard of the Collingsworth family? They have a wonderful song that says, if it matters to you, it matters to the master. You ready, men? When life lets you down and you feel more broken than whole, When the wounds go deeper than words And you can't tell a soul I may not know what you're going through Man, I can make that high mountain move But one thing I found Yeah. 
Because he's an empathetic God who loves you and understands the pain of the journey of life. Just in case you wondered how I answered my dad's question, can you give me one good reason I should keep living? Yes, Dad. I need you to show me how to grow old with dignity. I need you to show me how to move into retirement how to face widowerhood with dignity because I'm coming right behind you. And that's why the whiteboard. Again, this side, it's if you just share what are the key significant challenging issues that come with this stage of life and the other side, key lessons that you've learned. Now, Lord Jesus Christ, we have come to this place to meet with you. We thank you for your son and your servant, dear brother Bert Kettinger, and how he has brought us into your presence so tenderly with such powerful, wonderful songs, every one of which was born out of specific circumstances, and you were there. We thank you, God, for your word and how your word has spoken to us this morning, both Old and New Testament, and Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that it's true. You promised where two or more of you are gathered in my name, I will be with you and you have been here and will be here all week. Oh God, you know what matters to every person in this room. You know the burdens that each of us is carrying, the questions that each of us has, the concerns and we're so glad that this morning we've seen directly from your word that you not only care, but you understand 
because you walked this earthly journey. So today and tomorrow we will be bringing to you our concerns with a newfound confidence that we can trust you with them, not just because you're God, which is enough, but because you're God incarnate, Jesus, who understands. And I'm praying, therefore, God, that today you will touch each of us right at the point of what you know to be our need, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.